Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 7am novelist Passages of Summer edition. By the way, if you have a better title than that, please help me because I think it sounds really stupid. So, and Juliet agrees with me, right, Juliet? Um, no, okay. I think, it's, I think it's lovely. Passages it's lovely. Of Passages of Summer. Anyway, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are very difficult to get right. Uh, so this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of different authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, et cetera, and how these choices might help you with your own first pages. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we hear from Juliet Fay, who's going to share the first pages of her new novel, The Half of It, which just came out in April. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Juliet Fay. Is the best line, yes, is the best line <laughs> author of seven novels, including the half of it, Catch Us When We Fall, City of Flickering Light, and the Tumbling Turner Sisters, a USA Today bestseller and Costco Penny's book club pick. Previous novels include The Shortest Way Home, one of Library Journal's top five best books of 2012, women's fiction, Deep Down True, shortlisted for the 2011 Women's Fiction Award by the American Library Association, and Shelter Me a 2009 Massachusetts Book Award must-read book, and an Indie Next pick. Juliet is a graduate of Boston College and Harvard University, and she lives in Massachusetts with her family. All right, let's get going, Juliet. Can you give us a short summary of your book, the half of it? Sure. So the elevator pitch is, um, you know, Helen Spencer's life has been veering off course since she was a teenager. A domino effect of regret that began one romantic night in the woods with a boy named Cal Crosby. Cal now wants to talk about what happened. He has no idea of the can of worms he's about to open. In fact, he doesn't know the half of it. Oh, perfect title. Okay, great. We got the title. Okay, so we're going to have her read about the first, just a couple pages, and then we're going to talk about how she came to those pages and the decisions that she made. And some things to think about as we talk about this is to think about your own pages, um, different things that you're you're wrestling with, and uh, maybe some choices that our authors have made can help you out with your own. Okay, Juliet, go ahead. Okay, chapter one, 2021. Helen sits on her favorite bench in the woods by the river, boot heels dug into the stormy New England earth, body hitched forward slightly to accommodate the baby backpack. Limp, fleece-swaddled legs dangle by her hips. Fall is in full profusion here in Bellum, Massachusetts. Yellow leaves glint like gold off the surface of the water as they glide by. Afternoon sun casts bright but diminishing rays that bounce against the ripples. Helen doesn't see the beauty. Her blank stare conjures only the wrong turns. Regret is a thing with teeth. There's movement out of the corner of her eye, and for the briefest moment, she's sure it's an animal that will chew her to bits. But it isn't. A small child, maybe two and a half or three years old, running. His little boy legs paddle at the dirt path with the delightful inefficiency of limbs that have only recently learned to accomplish this feat of anatomical engineering. Chubby fists clench as his body concentrates on propelling him forward, grinning to himself. The sight of her catches him unawares and he stops smiling, eyes suddenly round in fear. His gaze is locked on hers when his foot hits a root in the path and he spills forward onto his belly, his neck not yet strong enough to keep his lo lovely little face from smacking into the dirt. 
Helen is up and running to him as he lets out a wail of pain. The sleeping one-year-old on her back jostling against her so that she almost falls right on top of the little boy. Hey, she coos, squatting down next to him. Hey there. She doesn't want to touch him. Children are so well-versed in stranger danger these days, and she doesn't want to fuel his panic. But he can't seem to lift himself out of the dirt, and still crying hard, he only manages to roll over onto his back like a baby turtle. Can I help you up, she asks. Yes, he wails and reaches up to her. She slides her hands into his little armpits and lifts him, intending only to right him onto his feet. But he clamps his arms around her neck and wraps his legs around her waist like a baby monkey, nearly destabilizing her. She gets a better grip on him and stands up. Where's your grown-up? Helen gently wipes at the dirt on his cheeks with her, the sleeve of her sweatshirt. I runned away, he says. And this precipitates a whole new round of sobs. You ran away from who? My grandpa. Helen immediately pictures an evil old man hitting the boy or worse, but she warns herself against jumping to conclusions. Why did you run away from him? She asks mildly so as not to further inflame the situation. I played a trick, he wails with remorse. Grandpa. Okay, okay, Helen croons, trying not to laugh. Her daughter Barbara was emotional and dramatic like this as a child. And Helen had often marveled at the girl's ability to allow feelings, any feelings, good, bad, or indifferent, the girl could make indifference dramatic, to erupt like flames from an unpredictable volcano. Jim was always so perplexed by Barb's emotional outbursts, as if she were an alien species with whom, try as he might, he couldn't quite communicate. Helen had told him countless times, she's young, she just feels what she feels. And he would chuckle and say, apparently. But to this day, Barb still felt what she felt. It was a wonder. Helen pats the little boy's back and says, don't worry, we'll find Grandpa. She's just turning to head up the path when she hears a man's voice in the distance booming, Logan, Logan, where are you, Logan? The panic in that voice makes Helen's heart hurt. She's occasionally lost track of a child and knows there is nothing more terrifying. He's here, she calls back, Logan's here, he's okay. I'm okay, the little boy echoes in his high, sweet voice. I'm okay, Grandpa. Helen feels the man's thumping footsteps coming toward her before she catches sight of him, rounding a turn in the path. His face is, face is ashen with worry. Either that or he has alarmingly bad circulation. His shoulders hunch forward as he jogs toward them in a strange, ungainly lope. As he gets closer, Helen sees the reason for his galumphant gait. He too has a baby on his back, a little pink capped head bobbing up and down in and out of view from the oversized pack. Hi, Grandpa, Logan sings out, suddenly happy and excited, as if this is a pleasant surprise rather than a mildly traumatic event that he himself set in motion. He leaps to his grandfather's arms before the man is quite close enough to get a good hand on him. And the guy stumbles forward, gripping the kid and pressing him into his chest a little too tightly. His face somehow sets off a ping of memory, a long-buried familiar familiarity. But before Helen can study it further, tears form in the man's eyes, and his face contorts into a barely controlled sob. Helen is a bit taken aback. Jim never cried. She's only seen men cry at funerals, except for Barb's father-in-law who cried at their wedding. Jesus, Logan, he chokes out. You scared the shit out of me. That's a bad word, says Logan from inside the man's nearly smothering embrace. Sorry, 
The man shifts the child into one arm and puts a hand up to pinch the tears out of his eyes. Don't tell mommy, okay? That's okay. Jesus is good. A laugh bursts out of him, out of the man then, and he catches Helen's eye, and they both start to laugh. Helen puts a hand up to her mouth. She wants to keep this feeling. With his face relaxed and smiling, the memory comes clear. Cal Crosby. Cal fucking Crosby. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. That is wonderful. Um, there's a lot of things I see in these pages that I want to talk about, but um, were these always your first pages? Is this how you originally started the book? They were. Yeah, they were. And that doesn't always happen, obviously, but these, you know, these were a good start for me. So that's, that's where we stayed. That's amazing. And so um, you had the idea that of these two people meeting again after a very long period of time. Did you have that idea in your mind before you started writing or did you discover that as you were writing? Well, you know, my first idea, I, I was so taken by the idea during the pandemic of people sort of taking that pause in social interaction to review and reflect and take stock of their lives. And I thought, what would it be like to be my age? I was 58 when I wrote it and looking back and really having some serious regrets. So my first idea of the story was that it would be sort of this same similar meeting of meeting in the woods, but this guy would be, you know, like another grandparent and maybe they would start talking the way people do with strangers, revealing more than they usually do, thinking I'll never see the guy again. And I thought, eh, it's kind of boring. So I said, <laughs> you know, what if this guy was there when the when the pivotal event happened that set her off course? What if he's the reason for the you know, why she's gone, you know, why her life has not turned out the way she hoped. So that's, that's what, what got me really excited about this. Perfect. Cause it's oftentimes really difficult to mesh two timelines together like that. Oftentimes we think, feel that the, the heart of the story is in the past and why do we have, why do we have the present part of the story? I mean, in right. the book, do we go, is it, does it, is it a parallel timeline story or does this function as a frame? Um, it's parallel timelines. So it goes back to their their friendship, really, in, in high school and sort of their growing um, sort of love for each other. And, you know, so it sets up this little mystery almost of like what happened that they seem to be such great friends, you know, all of this that that sort of set things. Why is she so furious with him 40 years later? And then it's his attempts to sort of say, like, we need to talk about this. We need, you know, that are happening in the future. And these attempts to sort of, for both of them, to understand what happened subsequently as a result of this night in the woods they spent and to sort of help each other in some ways make course corrections. Nice. And so I always think about, I, I, I had the writer Josh Weil visit my class once when I was teaching at Boston University. And, and he said to me, I define plot as... I find a character's wound and I poke a stick at it, which it sounds Love exactly it. what this book does, right? Absolutely. Because yeah. she's got this past story. And that's that's really how double timeline stories are really functioning best, right. um, is that the past story is a wound and it reawakens for the present character. And then you've got your um, the cow character who she doesn't want to see. She doesn't want to think about these things. She doesn't want nope. to visit that, but he's going to be the stick that pokes at that point right. and forces her to. That's great. Right. Yeah. So when you brought this to, um, do you have a workshop group of fellow writers or yeah, I do. certain people? Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, four other, you know, authors who I just so highly respect. And we've been together for, it's got to be over a decade now. Um, and I always say they are kind, but honest. They will yeah. absolutely tell you where they are starting to snore, you know, or whatever, but they do it in a very kind way. And how did they respond to these first pages? You know, I, I think they liked, I mean, and overall, they really liked the story. You know, that was that first draft. And certainly there was plenty of work to do from there. But I think the first pages um, got, you know, um, uh, you know, revision goes on and on and on. But I think the basic structure of that first, um, those first pages um, setting up the rest of the story, I think they responded pretty well too, if I recall. Yeah. And when you worked with your editor, she said, this is great. Let's just go with these. Or did you have to make some? You know, she had plenty of things to say, but I think the first pages really stayed the same. I felt I felt like they were a strong start, and I think she did too. Yeah, for sure. Good, good. Um, so there's a few things here that I'm noticing. When I first read this, um, so those of you that are listening, you can also find, um, if you want to look at the pages, we'll have the link in the podcast notes and on the Substack um, page where this is posted as well. So, cause I know a lot of people, it's a hard, it's difficult for them to just listen to the pages. Yeah. Um, but so what I'm noticing here for myself is, um, so you have Helen sits on her favorite bench in the woods by the river, boot hills dug into the stony New England earth. Body hitched forward slightly to accommodate the baby backpack, limp, fleece-swallowed legs dangle at by her hips. And I was immediately with Helen there. I knew that scene. I almost felt, and this is odd because I do not have children and I've never really wanted to have children, but I felt that <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, yeah. And and so I was, I felt like I was, I was her. And I felt that you grabbed that um very quickly and it might be because I'm a woman it might also be because I'm now 50 myself but again there's 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 a lot of difference between me and Helen but there's something about the details there um particularly I think the the limp fleece swallowed legs there's something very sweet there yeah <laughs> that that I found that I really like the details but then it switches. So then we get this lovely scene of fall is in full profusion here in Bell and uh, Massachusetts. But then Helen doesn't see the beauty. Um, and we know immediately that something is wrong. Was that the pacing that you had originally? Yes. I think those first couple of paragraphs are basically the same as when I wrote them. And what yeah. I really wanted to do right there was sort of you know, conjure this image of her sitting still. She's not moving. She's a little bit stuck. Her feet are in the stony brown earth, you know, and there's this beauty all around her and she can't see it. And immediately we get the concept of re regret, which is the, the, you know, the, the theme of the story, the theme of the novel is regret. And what do we do with regret? What do we do about it? And what I like, so we have with that paragraph, fall is a full profusion. And then Helen doesn't see the beauty um, so what we basically have is kind of a, a, a fuller camera image that we start with before we go more into Helen's point of view, because a lots of times we would say, well, we need to describe the scene only from Helen's point of view and only from her emotion. But you are actually using a more objective point of view um, because we do need some idea of the objective world. And then you focus in on her own subjectivity. And I always think of point of view as a way of warping the world. <laughs> And mm -hmm. that's what it, yep. that's what it that's what interests us, I think, and that's what makes us that's what draws us into a character. Um, 
And then another trick you have here. So we have this poor little boy who falls. And I, I felt when he fell, I just immediately <laughs> uh, <laughs> grimaced at that. Um, and her desperately and awkwardly trying to take care of the situation. Um, but there's a there's an interesting trick here when also she says, um, shoot, where is it? I think she says, okay, okay, and then she recognizes him. Or not doesn't recognize him right away, but she feels um that there's something um familiar about him. And so for the reader, I think we're like, oh. This is why we're reading this scene. This right. is the this is the point of the scene. And that happens really, really fast. And I think you need that really fast, right? Sure. Because um, yeah. otherwise the reader's going to be like, why are we just with this kid playing in a, you know, we're going to get bored. Right. Um, and then what I wanted to ask you was, okay, so she says, okay, okay, Helen Kroons, try not to laugh. Her daughter, Barbara, was emotional, dramatic like this as a child. And Helen and Offwood marveled at the girl's ability to allow feelings to erupt like frames from an unpredictable volcano. Jim was always so perplexed by Barb's emotional outbursts, as if she were an alien species with whom, try as he might, he couldn't quite communicate. Helen had told him quite countless times, she's young, she just feels what she feels. And he would chuckle and say, apparently, but to this day, Barb still felt what she felt. It was a wonder. Helen pats the little boys on the back. So that is a really good trick. Because we're getting interiority and we're getting some necessary information about the character. Did you always have that? Was that something that just naturally happened when you wrote the first pages? I believe it did. I think, you know, as, as I was thinking through sort of like, here's what's actually happening in the scene. But how am I going to like pepper in some things about Helen? And what I wanted you to know about Helen is she's got this very emotional, dramatic daughter, but she doesn't she's it's a wonder that this girl can feel her feelings which is something helen has a hard time with helen mm -hmm. is very much um you know sort of put one foot in front of the other don't complain put one foot in front of the other and this very trait of helen's has led her to sort of stick with a narrative that doesn't work for her and has right. never worked for her right but also let you know a little bit about her husband that he, as much as Helen is not like this daughter, he really doesn't get her. He really doesn't understand. Jim never cried. Jim was sort of not an emotional person. And so you're starting to get this sense of how the mar the tension in the marriage. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to give you some little breadcrumbs of what's going on with this woman. And that, and right. so that's how I hope to do it. And notice it does, it happens as the current scene is proceeding. It barely interrupts. Um, so it's really well done there. And then it adds tension. And I think it's interesting that I think a reader might, this is bad, but a reader might judge a woman that it doesn't show a lot of emotion uh, well, or doesn't understand her own, her own daughter's emotion well, might judge a woman like that, but making the father even a little bit worse. <laughs> and she's back on her side. Right. And she's sort of defending the daughter. Like she just right. feels what she feels like. That's Okay even though it's not quite my way. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I am in wonder about that as opposed to I'm putting that down or I'm, you know. Right. She's sort but of in awe of it. But still this kind of stuckness or stillness, the image that you had at the beginning, and then also her kind of non-emotionality, that, that kind of speaks to 
um, her flaw that that I'm assuming she's going to have to work with a little bit and or her wound that this guy is going to wake her up to. I mean, how does how do these feelings or her stuckness or her non-emotionality, does it does it relate to what she's going to be forced to think about? Absolutely. I mean, she swept all of this under the rug and she doesn't recognize how much it is. It continues to impact her 40 years later. And she doesn't want to think about that. And he really talk about poking a wound. He really tracks her down and says, we have to talk. Yeah. Um, and I like sort of flipping this, this script a little bit because it's often the woman who says we have to talk. And yeah. it's really the guy this time, you know, Helen's kind of shut down. And you need that. So basically he's a captain happen. Do you know that term? No. Um, Charles Charles Baxter came up with it. And a lot of people don't know the term, um, but Charles Baxter came up with this idea this term for a, a character who forces your main character to do things or think things or to go through things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, oftentimes the captain happen is um, a character that doesn't follow the rules, um, a character that um, takes a lot of chances, that says things that other people don't say, that do things that other people don't, don't do. There oftentimes can be really loud characters. Oftentimes you don't want this kind of character in your life because they would drive you crazy. Right. Um, right. It sounds like your character might be a quieter form of that. Or that yeah, could be wrong. He, he really is. And he's, I, you know, I think he's done the very same thing. You know, you, you learn this is that they both sort of, this thing happened to them and neither of them dealt with it. Um, or, or they coped with it in very different ways, but neither one of them coped with it very well. And right. it sort of led them down paths that were not really ideal for them. And so he's just a little further along in saying, I need to face this. And I've been looking for you. And I, and I need to, we, I need to talk, I need to talk to you about this. And there's, you know, some forgiveness is re required. Um, so that's the way and it is sort of more out of his own pain rather than his, you know, some some characters are that like I like to stir the pot character and he's not trying to stir the pot. He's just trying to dig himself out of the hole that he dug himself into 40 years ago. Right. OK. And I love so basically these also these main characters seem like foils to each other because they're very emotionally different. Yeah, I would say and so that's that's going to that's going to cause right. problems because if right. they were both. If they were both repressed emotionally, um, it just it just wouldn't work. So you need right. that that one person to be able to willing to move forward. Yeah. In terms of stakes for Helen, um, you introduce Barbara and Jim really early in the novel. It makes me feel, and I could be wrong, that the stakes for her for changing and for for seeing this guy again and having to deal with this has has something to do with her family is that true or not yeah i mean she's you know she's sort of built this little life for herself and it's good enough she tells herself um and she's just been through an enormous amount um you'll come to find out that jim died during the pandemic and so she's uh, got this uh, okay. whole sort of emotional thing that's going on and but she had a lot of ambivalence about their marriage and so she's still got that kind of thing. And so the pandemic does, uh, the pandemic is really a force in this novel, but very quietly. It's not about, like I always say, not about COVID, like I promise. Yeah. Um, but it's the background, uh, you know, it's the sort of the, the water they're swimming in is this one where people are starting to say to themselves, hold on, how did I get here? And she's also been through some really traumatic stuff. 
with her husband dying and, you know, moving to be closer to her daughter. And she's at a real watershed in her life, but she needs to be poked to make some brave choices about right. what's going to happen next. Right. And I mean, I think that's important to think about too, because a lot of people are, are thinking they're either find that they can't write about anything other than the pandemic very heads on, or they're yeah. like, well, I can't, I can't touch this thing with a 10 foot pole because no right. one wants to touch it. And so you're dealing with, with a way that is emotionally true, that doesn't just skip over something that was huge in our lives. But again, it's not a pandemic novel. No. Um, so in fact, I started writing this book in August of 2020. And I, and the book takes place in October. The first page takes place in October, September, October of 2021. So I was anticipating that the pandemic would be over, that we'd be, it would be fully in the past. Okay. I don't recommend this. All you writers out there do not know what you're dealing with. Before you. <laughs> so then when January, I was still writing in January, when January ended like the, the in January, 2021, the, the uh, cases were you know, it was going crazy and we didn't have the vaccine yet and, you know, all that stuff. So I was, but I was, so I was, it was, it was supposed to be post pandemic. And then, you know, I had to wait and see, am I going to have to push this forward into the future some more because we'd still be too much dealing with this. And I, and I am of, in some ways, two minds about the whole writing about the pandemic thing. On the one hand, I really don't want to read. I mean, we're all sick of it. Yeah. As my agent said to me in her beautiful French accent, we're all so sick of it. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it's funny to read books that were, that I know were written in the pandemic books that are coming out now, or a couple you know, in the past year or two, and that just pretend that it didn't ever happen. It doesn't exist. I feel like right. we're in this new place now that yeah. we've all had this incredibly traumatic experience as a, as a world. And it feels a little off to just yeah. be like, Oh, that didn't happen. Um, so yeah. And you're attacking it. I really love the way you're attacking it, that it's it's something very, it's small, but also something huge in that because she had so much time alone, because you had so much time alone, because all of us had so much time alone, right? to think back on our lives and think about choices we made, we couldn't really get away from ourselves anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, and so there's something that's not necessarily about the pandemic, that's very human, uh, but that is something that um, I think a lot of people experienced and, and it's, it's nice to see that other people were experiencing it as well. Actually, I think right. in, if anything, it's probably a comfort. Yeah. 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 Anything else you want to say about these pages? Um, I'm trying to think about, I think what, it, what was important to me was to really sort of get the, get the theme out there in uh, ahead of time so that people knew what they were dealing with. Um, and I, um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, you, I mean, you've done a beautiful job of sort of helping me parse out what, um, what I was attempting to do. Well, they were great pages. Um, and you had them from the get go, which is, which is shocking to me. Okay. I'm going to have to let Juliet go. However, again, uh, you can find, uh, her pages. I'll have the, um, link for it in our podcast notes and on our Substack page. You can find our full Substack uh, schedule for the passages of summer at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for up updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on the Substack page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges. There's so many great authors and teachers and ideas 
um, that we've been talking to over the past year. So I do recommend that if you want to learn a lot. And you can follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms if you don't want to go to Substack. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that other writers can find us. Okay, Juliet, do you have any advice you'd like to give to authors about their own first pages? Yes, I do. And I and I think my my advice is the same advice that I always start off with when I talk with writers, and that is don't wait for an inspiration. Don't wait for the perfect idea. Don't wait for, you know, the perfect music to come on, sit in the chair and just start writing. And, you know, it may be a hot, wet mess. It may be pages that you throw out almost immediately, but it will get those juices flowing. It will get you sorting out what is it that I want to talk about here. And um, and that's a beautiful thing. Even if it's a mess, it's a beautiful mess. Fantastic. I love that. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's time to get you to your own hot messes. And thank you, Juliet, again for being on our show and helping us out.